in my opinion now that I give you that context of where I'm at today, catching right. up with sports, I did also believe in a way that society pushes sports to us adults to get our mind and focus off the real bad things or the real Absolutely. About to go like off on this. Right? The gladiators, people would go to the coliseums, be wrapped around the government, would do shady ass stuff. And people would be so fixated, would not care, not even know what's going on. And when some crazy story is out there that the news is talking about, but then there's a, a World Series or a Super Bowl going on. Absolutely, man. You're not lying. You agree. Okay, good. You agree. So, so do you remember the um, Occupy Wall Street protest? Yes. Dude, that thing was getting out of hand, right? It wasn't just New York. It was San Diego. They were shutting down places on the highway. It was basically every major city that has the protests. And that thing was really getting out of hand. And the football season came around, man. And I'm telling you, <laughs> it's like clockwork, dude. It's like, it's such a fact. Three balls, two strikes, pressure is on. This is where we discuss real estate, property improvement, and business. Together, we'll strategize on how to win. Welcome to the Full Count. Welcome to Full Count Podcast. We got a new face to the podcast, Chris, who's a good friend of mine. He's a operations and logistics manager for a defense company, U.S. veteran, and he's just really a big baseball fan too and knows a lot about business in terms of like, um, you know, relationship building and things like that, leading. So, Chris, take it away. Introduce yourself, please. I mean, cheers. Obviously, you have to be a big baseball fan to be a Padres fan, you know, growing up. Thank <laughs> you, yeah, being a Saints fan growing up, you know, never thought they would win the Super Bowl, but when they finally did, it paid off in the end. Uh, being a Padres fan is a lot like that, being a Saints fan early on, mm -hmm. because you really have to just enjoy going to the game to be a Padres fan, because yeah. more likely than not, you're going to walk out of that stadium a loser. Disappointed, yeah, to say the least. And then me yeah. being an Angel fan, they've been doing horrible with two of the best players of all time on the team and i'm also a yankee fan too i know it's kind of weird to be a fan of two but the yankees are horrific this year so i feel your pain but at least you got one of the coolest and nicest stadiums in san diego padres so that's the good thing you might walk away disappointed or a loser like you put it but you're still having a good time absolutely i mean you know occasionally we'll beat the dodgers which is kind of like winning the world series for us so there's always <laughs> yeah. those moments too definitely almost gotten fights out there um just for supporting my team but you know what you still have to throw the flag up you know that's right just that's something. so aside from that uh you know okay. as you know I'm a navy veteran and i spent a lot of time oh my goodness sorry i just i just uh sorry my bad i just realized i'm using an msnbc mug that i got well, I mean, that's, kind of, that's kind of on brand for you you know no it definitely isn't um, so I'm going to turn around and do this, okay? I guess the Morning Joe was a show at one point. Is that your wife's cup? <laughs> yes, it is. Because I would not own that cup if it was me, as you know. But um, sorry, uh, go back to introducing yourself. Totally cut you off. My bad. No, it's all good. Um, you know, I'm a Navy veteran and, you know, got out of the Navy, went to school, and then kind of jumped back into the industry on the contractor side. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, I will say it's a night and day difference industry, you know, in the Navy and the military. If you see someone, you know, that's 
a part of your unit or just another Navy person, you're kind of obligated to help them if they're struggling. It's like if you see somebody struggling to carry something or anything, uh, you're all yeah. part of the same team. But right. on, the, on the DOD contractor side, if you help out other entities and something bad happens in the process, you've just uh, increased liability for your company. So right. it's even though I'm still you know in the Navy industry, it's actually night and day as far as how you operate. So would you say it's a little bit more cutthroat from you know the serving in the military to the private sector in terms of the competition and the overall day-to-day -day operations in a way? I would say it's, yeah, I would say that it's more cutthroat in certain aspects. Uh, right. You know, like people from Blackwater can do the same job as, for instance, uh, special forces, but okay. if things go wrong, all of a sudden lawsuits come out. So I would say that's a good analogy of it. You know. Okay. And and then folks, I, I wanted to mention the reason why I want to bring you on to as the new face of the podcast, at least moving forward to have you on as often as possible is I appreciate and respect that you served. You and I get along. We're friends. Um, your humor is hilarious, but at the same time, you're very like sophisticated and know what's going on in the world. So I think it's good to have you on for the current events that we'll be talking about later today as well, um, which we'll be also talking about the housing market, of course. And then your thoughts on the last podcast where Nick and I were talking about uh, Otani, the baseball player at the Angels, and as we all know, we can notice Nick is not here today, wasn't feeling well. And then Steven, he's not in today either, but at least we got you on. And this is probably like the perfect way to do it where we introduce you as just you and I. So it, it worked out to have you today. Absolutely. And, you know, I reviewed that last episode you guys did and you guys kind of kept it in the house with uh, the Los Angeles Angels where right. Otani might end up. But, you know, as we just spoke about before this, it seems like it's now more likely that he's going to end up somewhere else, especially with how the Angels kind of handled his injury recently and how there was a lot of speculation about um, why did he clean out this locker? It just right. seemed like they handled that one situation very badly. And you think now they handled it badly? Well, I think the Angels handled it badly. Did they clear out the locker, or was it him that cleared it out, though? No, I think he did that, but I think they took too long to throw him on um, the injured list, right? Oh, I see. Yeah. yeah, and I think there's a lot of people now, you know, writing about that. And so now it seems like not just 50-50 anymore that he's going to end up somewhere else. But who knows? You know, there's a lot of factors involved. But one of the things that – you know, we were, we talked about is where else could he go? And it seems like there's five places. And the last podcast, you brought up something very, very uh, interesting. And Nick, Nick was agreeing with you. You said Japanese. Right? Nick was agreeing with me. Well, you kind of phrased it as. Um, oh, no, well, you're calling me out. I can feel it. You're calling me oh, out. No. on something. I'm not calling you out at all. No, what I'm saying is, is that you, yeah. you mentioned his culture, his Japanese culture, as yeah. kind of a place where he would like to go, right? You where, where Otani would like to go? Yeah, like that having a factor, his cultural. Oh, yeah, know. yeah, like kind of, yeah, yeah. Exactly. And Nick was in agreement, and he kind of, you know, capitalized on that as well. And there's a lot of places where there's a, a large Japanese-American fan base, and I feel like that's a, a very important thing that – he could consider. And it seems like the Los Angeles Dodgers seem to be the number one 
place. Los Angeles Angels? Dodgers. Dodgers, okay, sorry. I mean, if not the Angels, it seems like the Dodgers, they're, they have the best financial, the most financial resources. They have a winning culture, and they have a need for them too. But they also have a very large Japanese-American fan base. I see. So that seems, it seems to be the one that maybe the number one suitor, although there's been like stories about Kershaw not really liking him back before he signed with the Angels, uh, an incident in a meeting. Right. But as far as, you know, real estate goes, that's not like a major change in housing, right? I mean, what, he might move to Ventura instead of, you know. Um, yeah, I think know. I think you're right. San Diego, Orange County, L.A. County, Ventura County, if you remain on the coast in the luxury areas, it's mm -hmm. kind of all pretty the same for the most part. You know, some yeah. topography is better than others and some of the feel of the area the culture i guess to some extent is different too but at the same time like you said it's basically the same um but i i do i do believe that he does prefer probably to stay on the west coast because of what you're saying um but at the same time i know there's speculation he might go to the mets or some other team but before we go there i did want to take it back to how you mentioned that the angels are kind of um, might be treating him incorrectly in a way. Um, like it's 50, 50. I did want to ask you, cause you probably know more than I do, which is why I wanted to bring you on too. Cause you're more, not more of a baseball fan, but you keep up to date with this more than I do. But can't you say that the way they handled it by not taking him out and putting him on the injury list sooner? Um, it maybe it was bad of them to do that. Yes. But at the same time, what if he's a player that's saying, no, coach, I'm, I'm good. I want to keep going. Or did you feel like the Angels are trying to squeeze as much out of him before they trade him, essentially? Because like in business, too, you might have a team member on your team as your manager, Chris, you know, doing your thing. You might have someone working for you and they keep wanting to push themselves and you're constantly telling them, hey, take a break. But they keep pushing themselves like there needs to be a middle ground. I think really what it is, is it's hard to tell if it's a bad relationship between uh, the team and the player, or if it's a reluctance of the team to provide information to the media and the media, also the one writing the story about what has transpired. Right. Normally doesn't like, doesn't normally support organizations that hide information from them, right? And so a lot of this that we're reading about where it's, it's coming from is that source. So I'm not really sure necessarily if, you know, I, I think the problem is, is that people didn't really know. And I, from what I read, it was a kind of a blunder with how long it took him to throw on the injury list, with the locker clearing out. What they were suggesting is it created all that drama with him clearing out his locker when they could have just said two days ago, three days ago, you know what he's actually injured right. but, so right. i think it's that coming after the fact but at the same time you know the angels organization might have just been trying to prevent uh you know the firestorm but if you're not successful in that you yeah might they fail miserably then if that's if that's the case then yeah i can definitely see that i always uh, i always wonder too though like a lot of like in government too, or even uh, management, like the angels, a lot of negligence happens. And sometimes it's, 
either these people don't know what they're doing or incompetence, right? I mm-hmm. feel like everything tends to be now that I'm, you know, in the business world more and I get older, I feel like there's more and more people that are incompetent rather than having bad intentions, if that makes yeah. sense. Occam's razor, right? Um, yeah, I think that's a, a, a very healthy place to think is always try to think of things instead of going cynical about it, always try to come up with, you know, what's a logical and competent reason why these things occurred they went the way they did. And right. a lot, you know, if you're trying to cover up something, you know, what is it? The cover ups is normally worse than the crime. Um, right. Right. Can, for sure. Backfire. And then it can just end up. Although this one's probably not. I mean, I, I don't, it's hard to know without talking to uh, him, the player. But I think his actions will speak louder than any words. This free agency. Right. And there's a couple other uh, places or places that I, I think that he could end up. Um, the Yankees. I would hope so, that I would I would buy that jersey in a heartbeat. But okay. they're a big market team with a winning culture, and they also need a superstar, and they also have a large Japanese American fan base. I didn't know that. So I know you are a Yankees fan. You know, are you familiar with New York uh, regionally? Like, do you, are you familiar no. with the neighborhoods? No? no. Okay. You just wanted to support the Death Star when you were growing up. You know, you wanted to support the evil empire, right? Is that what it was? Pretty much. I knew – no, I, I I thought of Babe Ruth, you know, being at the Red Sox and then going to the Yankees, a big Bambino. Baseball history is all the Yankees, in my opinion, for the most part. Same thing with the, the Brooklyn Dodgers, in a way. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. The hub of America, at least in the modern world, is New York, or was at one point. Ever since COVID, people, you know, can speculate it's another area. But I don't know. Something about the pinstripes and the Yankees is just really cool to me. And then watching Derek Jeter – Growing up myself playing baseball, that guy was like my idol. So that's why I say I'm a I'm an Angel fan and a Yankee fan. Well, I mean, you're not alone. There's a lot of people who are a Yankee fan and then a fan of another club. Uh, you know, being a Padres fan, we can never support the Yankees because, of course, <laughs> they took us out of our only World Series. So there you go. We're not we're not going there. But you know, speaking of the Red Sox, the Red Sox are another big market team with a winning culture. They also have a large Japanese American fan base. You know what I like about Otani though? Another player I liked, I didn't idolize him like I did Jeter, but um, Ichiro. I mean, what if he goes to the Seattle, the mm-hmm. Mariners? Wouldn't it be kind of cool if Otani puts on that uniform that Ichiro at one point wore? I would imagine he looked up to him in a way too, because he was like one of the first Japanese baseball players that was so dominant and powerful with the attention and the skill set. I would think that would be a good spot for him to go in a way too. Yeah, I mean, I think that, I mean, who's who's to say what cultural outfit he's going to wear, right? But I think, you know, we're at a time and place where um, those, sorry, those uh, various cultures are embraced more than ever, you know, and especially with in Major League Baseball. Whenever I was uh, deployed around Japan area. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just when Japanese baseball started to kind of become a thing, right? So we're talking 2007, 2008 era, right? Really? Yeah. I didn't know it was that. I thought it went back even further. That's well, no, it, it probably could have. But at, at that point, for me as an American going over there, we didn't know about, like, the, the regular person didn't know about Japanese baseball, right? It was almost seen as kind of like 
American like, like like almost like a game show in a way because of how that they would play the game. They were a lot more acrobatic in a way. But I remember going there and hearing about Japanese baseball and going to see a game. And I was like, wow, they're really doing it. When you think about baseball, it's such an American sport, right? Not anymore. It's really been taken over globally. But growing up playing baseball, this isn't soccer, right? You didn't think this game traveled so far. And the the athletic uh, Japanese ability to hop up on that wall and just kind of shock, make the game a little bit more interesting in a different way. Um, and you, yeah. see, like, you see, you see, you see plays like that in the United States, but it seemed to be more of a theme over there. Like the, yeah. Cause a lot uh, of it's been in like uh, Dominican Republic. Um, yes. Been a thing. I do remember I was on a, on a, on a travel team back in high school, besides being on a the high school baseball team, but I was on a, travel team my team my coach was from japan and we were called okiki the baseball team and we kicked ass we were really good we were traveling all the time i would say i don't know 15 maybe 30 percent of my teammates that were on the team all ended up going to minor league baseball Mm -hmm. i don't know what happened from there i wish i kept in touch with them but there's a way and a manner of how the coach taught us to play baseball through the lens of a Japanese person, I guess you could say, because he's wow. all about the Japanese culture because he's Japanese. And I don't know, it was, it was a good experience. So I'm glad it caught on when you were out there, uh, when you were serving at that time. And now it's such a big thing now. I mean, everybody yeah. talks about it. You know, it makes, and it does make sense in a way because, you know, obviously for a hundred years, Japan and the United States shared a military. So we might as well, Share some sports, right? Right. But wait, they shared a military? What do you mean? You're talking about like us being over there? Well, basically, you know, after World War II, oh, the, yeah. the agreement was you can't have a military, we'll protect you, right? That was kind of, you know, in short. So, but so let me ask you this question. You're saying that you had that experience where you had a coach that taught you the Japanese way, right? In a way, in a way. I mean, it's been so many years now. Um, (laughs) I can't remember everything, but yeah, in a way, I already forgot his name. Oh, actually, it was Al, Coach Al something. Mm -hmm. Um, Ended in Moto, too, I think. But yeah, it was was a cool experience, man, because when I was playing baseball at the time, um, you know, I kind of had like anxiety going to the plate a lot of the time, especially at moments where, you know, there was two outs and there was men on base. My job is to, you know, clean up and bring them in. And I don't know how it ha- I mean, I was a kid, dude, right, at the time. But somehow he communicated to me how it's about peace and uh, the going to the plate with calmness and having the visual, like visualizing things in a successful way. Like you're going to go at bat and you're going to get on base and hit the ball and connect with the ball. That way of thinking, I guess, really helped me and elevate me to be a better ball player. But it also spilled over to how I am in business now. Like I'm very keen and even with things. I don't, I don't get too happy, excited. I don't get too angry or upset when something happens. So I think that definitely helped me with the outlook on things. And I think that was the Japanese way. Well, I think this is a very interesting thing you pointed out because, you know, as someone not in the real estate industry, like you and Nick, I would imagine not getting your hopes up or not being, 
affected when you get shot down on a deal, it's got to be re re uh, really important because um, I, I would imagine there's a lot of failure in the beginning. And right. Sales. That first sale. And then you have bills on the table. There's a lot of pressure. Your wife's like, hey, when are you going to sell another house? You have all these things building up. And right. you still have to be calm and act like none of that is going on while it's happening. And so I can see. 100%. Yeah. 100%. I see a lot of burnout in my industry in real estate or sales for that matter of any kind within multiple industries out there in sales. I feel like it's almost in every industry, right? Otherwise, things won't, services and products won't sell. But um, people that get overly happy when something good happens or overly upset when something goes the wrong way, I see those people fizzle out. The ones that can kind of stay more stoic or in the middle, I think they're the people that really excel in sales and anything that has to do with transactions, right? Um, so I think it's very, very powerful and important to have that approach overall. Well, I also think the people who get really happy when something goes good are also the people who get really sad when something doesn't. So for I sure, those are the same people, you know, and there's definitely benefits to having those people. Honestly, I think they would make great reporters, right? Because they're, <laughs> no, I'm saying because they're reacting to the moment. Oh, yeah, I guess. Up, I never thought of that, dude. Yeah, you know, there's something upbeat. They're, they're, they want, they need to be excited on camera, right? But you also don't want to be excited when there's like a tornado that just ran through a Kansas City town behind you, right? So you're going to need to have that emotion. Right. Basically, you can't be a sociopath. This is the number one rule, right? I mean, I'm not saying the best salespeople are yeah. sociopaths. But hey, I didn't say that either. You know, they might be, but I didn't say that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But no, my cousin, he's, he drives up and down Texas selling oil and gas equipment and he's got five kids and, you know, just how do you make a sale when you're in debt? You know, that seems so tough, but he's made of stern stuff, you know, so he gets it done. He provides for his family day in, day out. But this is a friend of yours that sells, uh, you said oil? This is my cousin. He, he, yeah, he sells like oil and gas equipment, right? So he's driving up and down Texas trying to sell equipment. And, you know, he sells one or two of these things. He's good for like three months. Right. But you, you might go four months, five months without, you know, finding buyers. If the oil Sounds industry goes down. Yeah, exactly. And the oil industry goes down, nobody's buying anything, right? So kind of like the housing market, if it's a, a collapse, well, right. maybe not. In the housing market, there's a collapse. People are trying to buy, you know, swoop it up when it's small, right? Yeah, but at, at, there's only a small pool of people that have the cash to buy it. So it's a matter yeah. of finding those people because majority of people, when there's a crash, you know, they're not going to buy because they're afraid, yeah. right? Most people don't act. The ones that act tend to have experience or tend to have more money and are willing to take that risk, and, which usually ends up paying, paying off um, – you know, a lot. So, um, no, that's, a, that's cool about your cousin, but I, I think in anything, when you're constantly making sales and things like that, whether it be real estate or oil, it's a matter of scaling, right? So you could be in all this debt, but if you find a way to scale it or have some kind of recurring income, mm -hmm. I think that's the, the, the way to really do it. And that's kind of where I'm at today. I want to get to a point now where I need to start scaling, whether it be building a team, whether it be, you know, me buying properties somewhere in the Midwest, maybe, and getting that recurring income on a monthly basis, rather than having to wait to get paid on every sale, which can be tough, right? So 
if you had two customers available, you can only pick one. The house was going to be the, for the same value, right? And one okay. of them was going to get a, a loan in the traditional method. And then the other one was going to be a VA loan. Which one would you rather work on? At this, is your question tailored to at, at this particular moment for this one particular sale and that's it? Or... Yes, yeah, so you can only have one of the customers. One of them is going to be using a VA loan and one of them is going to be using a regular, just going to the bank, getting a loan without a VA loan. Which one would be more of a headache for you? Which one would be easier for you to work with? I think they're both pretty good in terms of, I've worked with people that buy homes with the VA loan and people that don't like the standard way. I, I, I couldn't even answer that question until I knew the qualitative data, which is personalities of buyer, the VA loan guy or girl and the buyer person with the standard loan. They're all the same. They're all the same. All the variables are the same, except for one has a VA loan and one has a regular. So I know sometimes with VA loans, there tends to be, not tens, that's a bad word. There sometimes are stipulations and limitations of what a VA loan can buy, I believe, um, when purchasing property. But considering that wouldn't apply in this case, um, I would go with the VA loan just because they're a veteran, honestly. So that's the only, so on your end, you just see somebody coming up to you with a loan. That's all you see. You don't, you're not really. I, I, the way, yeah. The way you tailored it saying they're both the same personality, same type yeah. of person, and they're just different loans, same price, same everything. Then yeah, I would say so the VA loan because they're a veteran. It's like, uh, it's a way of like, you know, I'd, in a way I would rather help the person that served versus the person that didn't, even though there's nothing wrong with the person that didn't, it's just the way you tailored the question, I would go with the VA person. Yeah. Well, really what I'm trying to get at is, does a VA but, loan- but can, I, can, I, can I say something before you go on? Yeah. I would never, I would never make that decision though, because it would just be a matter of what, what happens because I cannot discriminate as an agent, whether going with this person or the other person. So um, I guess preference, probably the VA person. Okay. So would the, does the VA loan make anything more difficult on your end? Does the VA loan itself? No, not necessarily. I think that's more of a question for the lender. Exactly. So that's really what I was getting at because I actually haven't noticed any pushback from real estate agents, but mm -hmm. you know, we're looking at buying property, possibly more property this year. And one of the things we've talked about is, you know, with the VA loan, we don't need a direct deposit, which is amazing, right? When you're buying property. But I always kind of worry that we're going to face more scrutiny in other places. You know what I mean? Because we're using the VA loan. I don't, I don't, I don't necessarily think so. Um, no, I don't see that being an issue for you. Okay. It just, it, at, at that point, it just comes down to, your contingency timeline, um, like for the inspections, investigations, and then how much you're offering, how much more or whatever the case may be, how your proof of funds look in terms yeah. of your reverse to pay your closing costs, um, which it's in many cases, the VA loan will even pay for that too. So it's just being able to show your best profile of your proof of funds for mm -hmm. whatever they might be needed for. 
and things like that. Because I think in California, it's already not allowed where you can write buyer letters. So you can't even explain yourself of who you are um, unless the seller chooses that they're okay with opening up that door for you. But I wouldn't, I would not go into the scenario of you purchasing property with the VA loan to be negative out the door like that. So what I pulled up of the, uh, the internet, right. Is that, and I think it's kind of like what you alluded to earlier, but VA loans have stricter property requirements. Like the VA appraisers there, they look for certain features that may not be found in all homes, such mm -hmm. as, uh, sound foundation, a safe electrical system. I don't know, we're in California, so I'm pretty sure that's included in all of our inspections over here, right? Yeah, they're, they're pretty strict already here as it is. Um, one thing the VA loan would probably have an issue with is like buying a teardown, actually for sure. Um, so if you're trying to buy like a teardown or a complete fixer where the property's like dilapidated and things like that, uh, then you're, you're definitely gonna have an issue with the appraisal. But besides that, I don't, I don't think there would be an issue because you have to reside in that property to buy the VA loan. You can't. So VA loans are not good for flipping houses, basically. I don't good. think so. I don't think so. No, but I will disclose too that I worked with a handful of VA loans now, um, representing them as the buyer and also as the listing agent when they come in. But in terms of like the day-to-day -day intricate details of a VA loan, that's something out of my specialty, and I, I, I couldn't really comment much further on that, to be honest. Mm -hmm. So another thing that um, is being said is the VA loans can make things uh, take longer to close because there's an additional step, which is the review by the VA. Mm -hmm. And I know in these transactions, there's already a good amount of steps. Does adding that extra step, is that kind of a turnoff for people? Like, for instance, you, you, you it takes it longer for you to get paid, right? I mean, it could, but, but in the... So number one step, besides the typical stuff you would think about, but tailored to the VA loan, you talk to the, your, the lender that can do the VA loan, right? And you mm -hmm. ask them, realistically, if I use this VA loan, um, will I be able to close in, for example, 30 or 45 days? And they're going to tell you yes or no. And at that point, you would then tell the seller through the listing agent that you can close in X amount of days. And then what you do is you have that listing agent call your lender, maybe even a three-way call between your lender, the listing agent, and yourself, maybe potentially, and explain how you're able to close within those, you know, X amount of days. And right. once the listing agent feels trust in your lender that they can close with the VA loan in 30, 45 days, then at that point, it doesn't matter because you already did your due diligence that step forward before even going into escrow. Gotcha. Okay. So that's good to know. I mean, you know, these are things that I think a lot of people don't know about. Uh, we, I was talking with um, a senior chief. Oh, he, yeah, he's about to get out of the Navy. And he talks about how he feels so dumb in like 2007, 2008. He could have used his VA loan and he did it. And we see what happened to the market. And I think it's because there's not a lot of education of to veterans about how easy it is to actually use it. Mm -hmm. It seems to be, you can just show up to a bank with that thing. And the problem is, you know, San Diego, even if you have that, it's still a competitive market. So they might choose other people over you just simply because for instance, cash is always going to cash is king. It's always going to beat you. But then from what has been explained to me, 
the VA loan is one notch below just the regular one, right? So it could be more difficult in a competitive place based on people I've talked to, you know, veterans I've talked to. But I think that if there was easier, if there was a more knowledgeable access to uh, people who are currently serving in the military, there would be a lot more houses bought, which would be good for everybody, right? Right. I think I think more so, I think even back in California, I think it was even more of a presence of the military with a lot of like the Marine Corps and the Army, I think, and probably in the Navy, of course, too. Um, there were more people at that time. There, were, Like I, I, I was watching, I was listening to the radio, I think it was, or, or I was reading a book couple years ago saying how there was so many people in the military that own property. So I definitely could see that being a thing talked about more then. but as of the last, you know, three decades or four or whatever it might be, there's like less military people that probably own in California, Southern California, maybe because a lot of people have moved out. They keep moving out mm-hmm. a bunch of techies and intellectuals keep buying here. So that's probably why that um, VA loan presence of it being talked about and and everything like that is mm-hmm. not as big as it probably was when it first came out. Right, right. Yeah. So, anyways, I derailed our, our I derailed our uh, itinerary. I don't know if you want to make us back on track now that I yeah let's let's get back on track. But that was a good question. I think um, I can always I can look into it more further for you if you'd like uh, and get back to you. And even maybe bring a, a lender on to talk about the VA loans. That might be a good idea, to be honest with you. And it will be good for me to brush up on some details I've already forgot because I don't do VA loans consistently every year, maybe yeah. once a year or every other year. Um, yeah. Okay, housing market. I Before I give you stats um, and my thoughts, I want to get your perspective from a person that's not in the real estate industry. Um, and then I also want to make a correction. I think you might have oversaid that Nick and myself are both in the real estate industry. Nick is okay. technically not in the real estate industry. He's a, he's a, he bought his first property, but I wouldn't necessarily call him an expert in the real estate industry just yet. Um, oh, I thought, I thought he worked in it. No, no. Oh, okay. He's a smart guy. He's a, uh, he manages programmers for a company, a consulting company. But I wouldn't call him like an expert necessarily. I could barely call myself. Actually, I could be an expert in many ways, but I wouldn't go to the extent saying I'm an expert in real estate investment. Right. So I just want to make that quick correction out there. Would he dispute that with you? Would he say, hey, look, I am an expert? Probably. Probably. Because every time Nick and I talk, I mean, even before he bought his first property, he and I would always go back and forth on certain things um, where he would kind of underestimate what I'm saying, which could get a little annoying. Um, You know, it's not like... I'm coming in here talking as if I'm a consultant uh, when I talk to him, but um, I would like to see what he has to say. Maybe he can, maybe when we bring him on, he can kind of um, mention what, if he disagrees or not, but you as a person that's not in the real estate industry, seeing what's going on in the media, social media, what you believe yourself, what's the housing market like right now for you? Like what's your perception? I mean, it feels like, the mortgage rates are higher than they've been since like the economy crashed the big short. But I also kind of understand that mortgage rates going down means prices go up and it's almost like this 
uh, equilibrium, if you will. Um, but maybe that's a very simplified version, but I always, it always ends up being the same in the end, right? Although, you know, with inflation and everything, it seemed to have, it seemed to have kind of gotten out of hand for a little bit and right. now we're pulling it back. We're trying to pull it back. Yeah. Uh, but I always leave open the possibility that there's information that the public doesn't know yet, which could set off a repeat of 2008 as soon as that information becomes made available. I mean, that's, that's, that's very um, interesting how you worded that as soon as that information becomes available. Um, because in my, my thinking, if there was another, and not to get into politics, but if there was another president in office that might not be a Democrat, I think we would, we would have already been in recession because everybody would be criticizing the president, criticizing his cabinet, criticizing the Fed more um, in a way. Social media influencers, too, would be talking all this nasty stuff, how bad the economy is, how bad things are, that it would instantly make a domino effect and get everyone talking and thinking and scared. Um, so I find that very interesting, the way you put that. I do not think, though, necessarily, unless something horrible happened in the economy, that it would be like 2008. Back in 2008, there was like about 4 million active homes for sale um, back yeah, in 2008, 2009. Mm -hmm. And households, there was less households. I don't remember the exact data anymore, but I could always go back later. But um, today, there's less than a million homes for sale that are active. And there's way more households. So supply and demand is very simple. There's very little supply. Uh, there's still demand out there, even though rates have been at 7% or a little higher between seven, almost 8% for over a month now, um, there's still demand there because there's so many household formations that have occurred and there's more population than there was then. There's more 33-year-olds today than there were in 2008. Um, so I don't necessarily see that being a thing like it was back then. Well, let me Especially ask you this. Time lending is not necessarily a thing today. Well, is there still this whole subprime you know what they what did they call them whenever they combined the mortgages on top of mortgages on top of mortgages the subprime lending what you're asking yeah. if there's still subprime lending today well basically you know how in that time frame they were they had mortgages that were backed by bets on the mortgages that were backed by bets on the mortgages and then <laughs> there was like you know triple triple b and it was just terrible yeah. lines where there was bets i'm basing this all off of the movie the big short right right but as soon as that information became available to certain people they started betting against the market and then it all fell down within you know a couple months right so right that's really what i meant about information as soon as there's information where someone can bet against the house it can all come down right um you know what? What are stocks? Stocks. Stocks are people's opinions about how things are going for certain companies, right? Mm -hmm. Stocks are how people feel about a market, right? And, right, but uh, also you got to look at the earnings, right? So, um, yeah, it's a little bit of both, I would say. But um, 
Yeah, I mean, there could be some new information unfolding, maybe that there's more subprime lending than we we think is occurring today. But it's not like it's not like it was back then, necessarily yeah. with the subprime lending, because it was really toxic back then. Uh, I don't know if you heard of Nina, no income, no assets. That was a thing. People were filling out mortgage applications, not even leaving things blank. And these l- lenders would end up, you know, providing the loan, sell the loan, throw it in tranches. They would they would call right. it like triple A, double A, triple B when it really exactly. it was all crap. And then they would sell it on the stock market and people would speculate with crap when they didn't even know some of them. Some of them, of course, did. But I don't think it's like that anymore necessarily because lenders today do a lot of their due diligence and it's pretty hard to get a loan sometimes. Um, although there's been like that recent 0% down through, I think it was I think it was through Zillow, like 0, 0% down loans and whatnot. Um, you can kind of say that could be like a subprime lending in a way, but you would have to look at the fine details of what that loan entails and how much vetting there is on that buyer. Mm-hmm. I got you. So, yeah, I mean, I didn't know if they were doing exactly like you said, the tranches. I heard a report like, I don't know, five years ago that they were starting to do that same thing again. But, you know, I don't know what I'm talking about. So <laughs> No, it's all good. Um, I think I think that's a good perspective. I, I don't see that necessarily being the case. However, there is uh, some data through the Wall Street Journal. I mean, it's everywhere. Black Knight uh, it says mortgage rates are at the highest level since 2000. And applications for home purchases fell to their lowest level since 95 because home sales are very low right now due to those high rates. At the same time, there's golden handcuffs in in being a homeowner right now with the mortgage because you have golden handcuffs because you have interest rates below 4%, 3% or 2% range. And those people do not want to sell, get another loan at 7% or higher. And therefore, that's why it's called golden handcuffs, because a lot of people do not want to sell. And that's what's driving down home sales. Not that demand is going down. It's just that the there's not enough inventory. So the sales keep falling down further. Yeah. Inventory shortage for sure. Right. And then inflation, you know, was bad. It uh, has been bad for uh, quite a bit. But um, during the course of this year, inflation started coming down. But as of the recent, I think it was on here through the Wall Street Journal too. Uh, July CPI was 3.2%, which is not bad considering 2022 was at like 9.2%. Um, now for August, it's at 37 or 3.8%. So we're seeing CPI inflation go back up again because of energy costs, gas prices are going up. Um, and that's why mortgage rates are staying at 7%, maybe might go higher rather than the speculation then was that mortgage rates were going to come down at the end of the year. So it was a little bit more bullish. Um, the federal chairman Powell at Jackson Hole, Wyoming, was saying these remarks earlier, late August, saying that, you know, inflation's sticking a little bit and they might have to raise rates again. Because I think right now federal funds rate are like five and a quarter to 5.5%. That's where they're fluctuating right now. And there might be a point where he might have to raise it or just keep it at that level. If he was a signal that rates were going to come down, the federal fund rates were going to come down, or that he was just going to pause, rates would already improve right now. But because inflation is ticking back up, that's kind of the issue we're at right now with rates uh, staying up. So that sucks. Right, right. Well, 
in California, isn't it damn near impossible to like build and keep it anywhere close to the price of what you could buy it at if it wasn't, you know, built recently? Right. That is true. So, it's I mean, way, that's not like, way more. yeah. Like how, so what would you say the percent you would have to spend to build the same value home that you would buy on the market? What would you say that was that if you had a guess? So repeat the question, please. So if I wanted to spend $250,000 on a property, sorry, we're in California. If I wanted to spend $1.2 million on a house, what value, if I built that house and only spent $1.2 million, what value of a house would I end up with that I could sell on the market tomorrow? You're talking as a person that is a builder selling a $1.2 million house. Yeah. Let, let's say what would be the value of my property? If I built a house in California in San Diego County, let's say East County. And I spent $1.2 million to build it. How much would my house be worth? So how much would your house, you would want to sell it for probably is the, probably a better way. Well, I'm saying, I couldn't compete with other houses that are on the market for $1.2 million because no, 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 no. Cause if you're spending 1.2 million, that house has got to be at least probably double than the value or what you would sell it for, for you to make some profit or break even. Right. Well, because it's cheaper to buy a house than it is to have land and build a house. Right. If, okay, so if you're speaking as a person that's uh, a person that wants to buy property, because that's different cases, different questions. If you're looking to buy a property, um, yeah, it might be better to buy a resale house, a house that's already been built before, than the new home builds. However, these new home builders they 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 work on economies of scale, right? So they have a ton of land and they build a ton of homes, so volume, and then they're able to sell it and it's a little bit more feasible for a home buyer to buy a new build it's just a matter of more than likely home builders have to buy land in an area not as desirable as where other homes are currently so they have to go more inland and then the home builder also has to work with the municipality and a lot of those fees sometimes get transferred over to the buyer so they have to pay additional taxes than a person that's buying a home that's already been built many years ago yeah right okay so that does make sense like, you know, my family in Texas and Louisiana, when they're buying a property, it's normally going to be a new property most of the time, right? And it's what you're talking about as a developer. They have like three different models of the houses in the neighborhood, right? And they're buying one of the houses before it's even started, they're started to build it, right? Right, right. And a year or two, they'll have their new house. And I can imagine if you, it's kind of like Walmart can sell things, Amazon can sell things cheaper on a very bigger scale. They've already got the legal system in place to build these properties. It's to them, it's copy and paste all the documentation they're used to file. Um, and it's interesting the point you made where they pass some of the fees on to the buyer. Uh, that makes a lot more sense. But I, yeah, I do think- kind of have to, especially in California, yeah. because when, yeah. when, they're, when they're building homes more inland, the infrastructure, the police departments, fire departments are, necessarily yet completely that they have to start from scratch and work with the city to cooperate and build out a community essentially it's a little bit different than places like louisiana and florida though i think a little bit because the margins of profit are a lot 
wider than they are in places like California. Yeah. And and to, to add on one more thing, when you're buying property that's not built out yet, it's kind of scary too when the market's very volatile like it is now because sometimes you you may buy a property, right, that's not built out yet, but as time goes by, you can't lock your mortgage rate right away. Like once you get in, you can't always lock it. In most cases, I don't think you can. You have to wait until it's almost completed. And what's to say rates are going to be, they might be higher later, if that makes sense. So that's yeah. kind of the, the, the problem with buying new home builds. Understand, understand. So I, I want to talk about something about the uh, the next topic within housing. But if, if you want to ask whatever oh, question, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. let me know. Okay, you so there's what's called Nepo babies. I don't know if you ever heard that term before, which is kind of hilarious. I came across it last month. Um, it's basically, what is it? Let's see. It's uh, the actual definition. It's it's when a, 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 a child, which is an adult child now, right, looking to buy a home, is receiving right. cash from their family member or some type of inheritance in order to afford the down payment. So that's right. what they're, they're called Nepo home buyers, uh, meaning they receive family money to purchase a home. And oh, according yeah. to the 2021 Redfin survey, out of 1,500 homeowners that are in that uh, adult, like young adults, that if you come from a family where your parents or grandparents own properties, it says 79% of, of current homeowners had a parent who owned their home and 67% had a grandparent who owned a home. So if you're a, a homeowner right now, 79% of those 1,500 homes had a own home and 67% had a grandparent that owned a home, basically saying that that tradition goes down the line in the generation, which is pretty valid and makes a ton of sense. Yeah, if you have a situation like that, you better make sure you take care of your parents because, man, that is a good thing to end up into. You see these houses in San Diego, like North Park area, and you see like an old lady living in North Park, right? And she's got this house. She's got a front yard and a backyard. And you almost want to go help her uh, mow the grass and like, you know, take care of her. See if you can get that house. You know, I've thought about that a couple of times. There's this, big house. There's this big house in Chula Vista. I'm telling you, it was an acre of land. And me and uh, my girlfriend were walking uh, our dog. And I was like, that person that lives there, they look like they never come out. I want to knock on that door, tell them I'll cut their lawn and just be that neighborhood friend. So one day, right before they pass, it'll say, you know, you took care of me, Chris. I'm going to give yeah. you this trust, you know. But, you know, think about that. Um, if you have that ability, if you gain real estate from your family, it's got to be the best gift to pass on to your kids. 100%. Passing on that real estate, you know. Right. It's, it's so freaking important to own. Not even for yourself, but just to get that mindset and trend to go on further. So the next generation that continues in your lineage of some sort will continue to prosper, right? So buying real estate is like that ticket in to really scale financially and do better. Um, that's funny, though, what you're saying, though, that story. I actually know someone who didn't do that. And I'm not going to name them, but I know personally. They, there was this person who they were friends with. This is like a young person I know, very old person that they've been kind of like friends 
this person would always go help the older person at their house, do little chores for them, help them take care of them because they had nobody in their life. Um, and then unfortunately that older person got cancer stage four, the young person found out she felt bad. She took care of this person and she had an idea. Oh, wow. This lady's probably going to leave me this, this home. And this is where it's important to stand. People are people. And sometimes you might do really good for them and you might have expectations they're going to take for you. But um, when the person ended up dying, they had it in their trust or with an attorney, they ended up giving it to a charity, the, the proceeds when they sold it. And then the, the rest went to the, I don't know how it worked out, but it went to someone in the trust that was an attorney that they knew. So even with good intentions, pure good intentions of helping someone that's a homeowner that might be older, is still probably not going to lead you to the path of owning a home. And that's why it's important to just get up, put on your boots, strap them up and eventually buy a home and get your work. And then have kids or family, you can pass that on. And that's why I mean, look, look, can we go back to that story for a second? All right. If you're an older person and someone is taking care of you. Yeah. Like most of the time people's kids won't even, they'll send them to the nursing home. If you right. have this person that's not blood and they're taking care of you and you don't have a son or a daughter who's willing to take care of you, and you don't give that person that house, you are a very bad man. <laughs> I yeah. agree, dude. I agree. I was pretty freaking livid when I heard that story. But at the same time, though, like, I don't know, once you're at an older age, I don't know what goes through your head logically. And then when you're going through cancer, you know, what's to say you're not thinking necessarily straight. And then who, who else is in your ear chattering away? Um, when they find out, like when they see yeah, someone, I mean, if I was your friend, I would have been a little bit more clear about this house situation. Like, Hey, I wiped your yeah. ass a couple times here. You know what I mean? Let's, let's talk, you know, I would probably bring up the situation a little bit differently, you know, but hundred oh, percent. I, I did not agree with how they were approaching that situation towards the end, but yeah. I do have a story where I knock doors for a living, right? I do a lot for a living, but to make sale, I do a shit ton of, um, tasks to get a sale and i was knocking on this door there's a guy in the hollywood hills he's an older guy he's like probably in his mid 60s and i guess he's getting slower but he's still in good shape and he told me andrew you know what i can give you as a gift he's like because i'm never going to sell my home um at least to you or anyone i'm not going to have anyone sell it for me until i die i go okay no, no problem and basically i'm on my way right and i tell him if you ever need any help i can connect you to someone that might be able to help you with other things financially um, and he's like, well, I have an, a proposition for you. If you want to take care of me, um, you know, come to my house, take care of me, feed me and all this stuff, then I can give you my home and I'll give you my car. He has a Porsche. And I was like, this is really freaking strange of a proposition. I told him, you know what, sir, I'm okay. It's probably better you get a nurse or whatever. He's like, but Andrew, I have nobody. No one's taking care of me. I have a son who lives in a different country. We have a bad relationship can you take care of me? And I said, you know, all due respect, no, I can't do that because that's obviously very weird. Not my family member, nor do I have the time of day of doing that. But I, 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 it gets me thinking, there might have been a realtor that would do it. He even said you can come move in, which is very strange. But I feel that some people would take that task and do it, right? What do you think? I think that the fact that you keep saying it was weird and strange makes me think that there's context you haven't provided 
to add a little bit more to how it was kind of creepy. But I think there's a way to manage the situation, which is, you know, get it. I mean, what was the value of the house? And then what's the value of a caretaker, right? Right, good point. That's a good point to, to look at it mathematically. But no matter see, what, I would not do that crap, you know? Well, like, no, no, I'm saying, but you don't live there, right? What I'm saying is, is that would it make financial sense to, like, hire a caretaker? How many years do they have left, you know? Right. If you really looked at it from that perspective, maybe it's a good idea. But, yeah, I mean, it sounds like he might have wanted extracurricular activities. It's Southern California. You don't really know these days. Kevin Spacey's on the loose. You don't know what you're running into, you know? Exactly, exactly. It was very strange, but my point is... Was um, that, where was the house? How big was the house? My, but real quick, my point is, I'm sure there's people that are trying to find a way to fidget through and own a property yeah. in that type of manner or the other examples we gave or like you gave about when you were walking, you saw someone mow their lawn as a joke. Um, it's just best to just get your foot in the door and find a Absolutely. way to buy it. Yeah. But... Um, it, that house is worth probably today. It's in the Hollywood Hills. It's worth probably two point two point eight million. It's a fixer. If it was completely updated, it would probably be worth maybe five million. I would say. How old were you at the time? This happened a year ago. Okay, you look pretty young though. No offense. I am young. Okay. Well, I'm relatively young. I'm thirty one. I'm not you really young, but I'm sort of young. How old was um, he? I think 65 or 70. I don't know. You could have totally just tried to set him up. You know what I mean? And uh, No, dude, that was just – as soon as he made that proposition, I was like, I'm out. This is weird. I'm getting the – here. Um, Hollywood Hills. House in Hollywood Hills, you know? A lot of people would do a lot of things for a house in Hollywood Hills. You know? I, I can imagine. You're a, of, you're a man of morals and stature. Yeah. 100%, bro. Even if it was a female, right? Even if it was an older lady, I still would say no. I mean, we're both in committed relationships. Of course we would say no to that, you know? Exactly. But I'm just saying, even if I was single, it's it's still weird. Um, and I, I wasn't sure where it was going, by the way, the cops I was telling you. I mean, there was some weird context that occurred. And then there was other context that made it sound like it was pure. You know, he, they just need help. But, um, yeah, I, right. regardless, I don't have time to do that. I guess if I was an unethical person, what I could have done is, you know, found a way to, you know, hire a caretaker so I can put the dollars, you know, mathematically at work, hire a caretaker for them for however many more years they have, and then essentially assume the the the, the house. But um, that's obviously just not right to do. Yeah. But anyways, um, I want to go to the current events real quick to end to wrap it up. By chance, see the article in the Wall Street Journal about uh, Goldman Sachs? Yeah. They're offering a service to wealthy people through the mer merger and acquisitions department, uh, through sports financing, the ability to now own a percentage in a sports team, which is pretty freaking cool considering the context of this podcast with, with baseball and then just being able to be part of history, have great seats. And essentially profit off of the, the team franchise, right? Um, it's kind of like Green Bay Packers. How, how so? Because the Green Bay Packers are owned kind of like a stock. Hmm. Um, 
They're the only publicly owned not-for-profit major league professional team in the U.S. Instead of having one owner or a handful of partners, they're owned by hundreds of thousands of fans. I did not know that. Interesting. Yeah. And wow. they have, it's kind of like uh, they have shareholders who elect the president of the team. So similar to that, right? Yeah, I mean, the so for instance, you do have to be, I think you have to be an accredited investor at the least. So you got to have like a million dollars in assets, excluding a house in order to participate in this. And in some cases, you probably even have to have more money to be able to have that exclusive, um, you know, um, ownership percentage of the team. I don't know what, what it's like with the Green Bay Packers, but maybe they paved the way to, you know, get this going and people thinking. But it is a, it does give you a sense of clout, by the way, in my opinion, to own a team like that, a franchise. And being a business person, if you're a business person like a Jeff Bezos or whatever, you're always trying to level up and be cool, right? In a way, once you're at that point of money, you can pretty much buy anything. But by owning a team, besides the the, the the monetization from it, I think it does give you extra clout of going to the game and being an owner like the Mark Cubans. And then I don't know if you've seen Patrick Bet David, the famous YouTuber. Yeah. Uh, he also has Valuetainment. That guy recently became, I think like two months ago, a New York Yankees um, minority owner. So I, th- I found that pretty cool and fascinating. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you see a lot of, like, for instance, uh, Michael Jordan becoming a minor. Well, he's not a minority. He sold his share in the Charlotte Hornets, I believe. But it does seem like it's on the level of buying a yacht, owning part of a team, right? It's on the For same, sure. You know, obviously, and, Mark Cuban. Really. Right. Enjoyed. And I'm, I'm curious. I'm curious to see where this is going to go in sports, um, considering, you know, uh, there's going to be more money and a lot more money in sports. So what is this going to do to sports in general? Like are tickets going to be more expensive or is the experience going to be much better now? Um, At the same time, I have a love and hate relationship with sports. I don't know if you share the same outlook as I do, but I'll, I'll give you a quick story and then I'll give you my, my opinion. But, you know, growing up, I was always in baseball, right? Baseball was number one to me. Like that's all I cared about as a kid all the way up until like, um, early college years, maybe 19. And then there was a turning point. I told myself, well, this is kind of stupid. I'm giving all my, my interest, my time in baseball, where I could be doing something else and bettering myself with skills and talent in another field that I could actually monetize. And Mm -hmm. I ended up cutting off baseball and sports from my life when I was like, probably 21 till about 30. Like I stopped watching sports. 2009, 2010 was the last time I really watched baseball and any other sports until about maybe six months ago. I started picking it up maybe eight months ago since we started full count. So it kind of gives me more uh, interest and a sense of happiness to come back to sports. But in my opinion, now that I give you that context of where I'm at today, catching up with sports, I did also believe in a way that society pushes sports to us adults to get our mind and focus off the real bad things or the real absolutely about to go like off on gladiators, right the gladiators people would go to the coliseums be wrapped around the government would do shady ass stuff and people would be so fixated would not care not even know what's going on and when some crazy 
story is out there that the news is talking about. But then there's a, a World Series or a Super Bowl going on. Absolutely, man. You're not lying. You agree. Okay, good. You agree. So, so do you remember the um, Occupy Wall Street protest? Yes. Dude, that thing was getting out of hand, right? It wasn't just New York. It was San Diego. They were shutting down places on the highway. It was basically every major city that has the protests. And that thing was really getting out of hand. And... The football season came around, man. And I'm telling you, <laughs> it's like clockwork, dude. It's like it's such a fact that sports, but there's a lot of good things about sports, right? 100%. But honestly, my I think sports have done so much to fight racism, and most mm -hmm. people don't even know it, right? Like, you can really gain a respect from seeing someone compete and put their heart into something. You can gain so much respect for a person. I mean, think about this. How many racists were cured by Michael Jordan? Like, right. you couldn't live in Illinois without liking Michael Jordan, let alone so many other places in, you know, in the country. When you see these people and you're like, oh, my God, this person's just an amazing specimen. You know, Jesse Owen, we all know at the Olympics with Hitler, um, just sports, Muhammad Ali, they bring, they, they show you a different culture. They, they give you an opportunity to respect someone from a different walk of life than you would have never, ever thought about. You never had to. Totally. You're going to work and you're coming home and you see your, the things in your day-to-day -day life. But then you have this person that's leading a football program that you like. And all of a sudden, I'm just telling you, I feel like sports have brought people together from diversity. But they have also, like you said taking people's minds off of that's why san diego california we have so many crazy laws because we go outside and it's beautiful outside it's the sport right it takes our mind away from all the things that are going on in california law right 100 percent. it's the same thing as sports it's a distraction although it's a great distraction to appreciate the outdoors the environment and all that you know Right. And then and, and then sports, too, like the Olympics, I think in some ways it, it brings down the toxicity in, in levels of uh, disagreement with other countries. Right. There's yeah. probably wars that I mean, that's kind of going a little bit far, but there could be wars that were in a way prevented or cold wars that were prevented because of the competition with other countries. And like you said, it, it, it improved people from being ignorant and just yeah. being an asshole being racist or whatever. So yeah, there's a lot of positives about sports and then it making you a better person as the individual. Um, also teams as well, but there is some negativity with it. So that's why I have this love and hate relationship with sports and I'm, I'm getting around to it again, where I used to see it as a total uh, waste of time. And now I don't. Well, I think the love and hate relationship is just that, if your team was undefeated, it would always be love. But there's not they're not always undefeated. So there's going to be some hate, right? Yeah, it brings some humility. But at the same time, I, I hate it um, sometimes because I'm like, why am I spending so many hours watching this when I can be making money? Or, All right. So, yeah, let me capitalize on that. Or thought be with family or friends. Let me, yeah, let me capitalize on that thought for a moment because, you know, I was a very, and I still am. I'm, I'm a diehard Saints fan. I really liked him. I really missed last season because it was a, a train wreck. We lost Drew Brees and Sean Payton. But whenever uh, Drew Brees and Sean Payton were there, we got to such a winning culture that when we lost, the rest of my day was done. It was ruined. 
That's how emotionally attached I was to this team, right? Like, there's nothing that's going to make me smile the rest of the day. I might as well kill a bottle of whiskey because this day is over, right? Not that I would kill a bottle of whiskey, but I might that's as well. Because yeah. there's nothing good is going to happen after the rest of the day. Tomorrow I'm going to wake up. It's a new week. It's a new day. But what I started to do was I started to work out during sports games that I was emotionally invested in because if they lost, I still felt like I just accomplished something. I still felt good about myself, right? That's and a good way to see I felt like I was, around it. you know, even better, right? I felt twice as good when they won. But if I'm at a bar drinking and all of my uh, – everything I'm depending on is this team to pull off the W, it's like I lost it all right there on the spot. You're surrounded by people. You're wearing a jersey of a losing team. It's not a good environment. But if you work out while the sports are on, you're going to feel like a winner no matter what happens at the end. And you're going to feel glad if they lose. You'll feel good. Hey, at least I worked out. I didn't waste my time, you know? And that's how you care. That's a good outlook, man. I like that. That's a good way to work around it, to feel like you're actually doing something productive, yeah. especially when your team's losing. So I could see that. But it, yeah. it sounds like you you got past the whole, you like, oh, why is this? Why is sports even a thing besides the obvious of you know it's fun and competition? But like, you know, sometimes it does feel like a lot of people are too fixated on sports that they don't really care what's going on in the day to day current events or geopolitics. Well, yeah, I'll tell you what it is. With sports, you find the people in your office, the people that you work with that like sports teams, and you guys kind of talk shit to each other. So when your team loses, you got to go back to the office and face the noise, face right. the music, you know? You got to hear it. You got to hear it from those Seahawks fans or those 49ers fans. You got to hear it from, you know, other people. Like, hey, what happened to your team? I thought they were the best, you know, and, you know, kind of take it personal sometimes. I mean, you shouldn't, but we do. We're humans, right? But I will tell you, there's something also very good about sports. And if you're following the Deion Sanders University of Colorado, you know what I'm talking about. If you're not, yeah, no, keep going, keep going. I love that guy. Man, that's such a good story because it's just the story of that authentic person that um, is not going to take no for an answer. He has no reason to take no. He's, he's a very populist type of person. He's got so many accolades and he has no reason to shut up. And there, there are a lot of people waiting for him to fall. And look, he's not going to be undefeated, right? We all know there's going to be games he loses and tough teams are coming up, right? But the way that the, the real story is that, you know, this locker room full of 80 to 100 men, who feel like this is their father figure, you know, who feel like they can trust him. And he's got this movement. This if you saw the stadium, how full Colorado versus Colorado State. Yeah, was. man. Unreal. It's he's got ESPN and Fox competing on these, you know, two programs that nobody really cared about. Uh, it's just amazing what he's been able to accomplish. He sold $1.2 million in sunglasses the wow. day after the game. And the sunglasses were kind of, you know, halfway in spite of that prior coach from kind of talking crap about his mom and saying you shouldn't wear sunglasses or wear a hat in a press conference. And just everything about that story and how his whole family is involved, it is like it, it's such a good story. And I totally going against the grain. He's a he's so articulate, yeah. passionate leader, 
I saw that. I see. I know what you're talking about because I we were sharing it on the Full Count podcast uh, social media ch- channels about him. We we do as much as we can. So people go follow Full Count underscore podcast. We share a lot about him as a coach and how great he is. And he had Dwayne the Rock Johnson with him right when he was talking about the sunglasses. And uh, no, overall badass dude. Didn't he play baseball too? And he said oh, yeah. baseball, baseball's harder than football. By the way, is that that's what he said? And I I love that. He's got a Super Bowl ring, I think one or two. I think he's got two. And he's won a World Series. I mean, a lot of people consider him the, greatest athlete, the greatest athlete of all time, right? Because those are two things that are just like, you know, it, both of those sports are 100% team sports. So you can be the most talented person ever, Mike Trout, you know, and you're not going to win a World Series just from being Mike Trout, right? Basketball, right. you can be a LeBron James. You do need one other player who's good, right? right? But for the most part, you can be LeBron James and Kyrie Irving and take on the Golden State Warriors, right? Um, football, obviously, you can't have a weak, uh, you can't have like one weak lineman. You know, you have to have very clutch the full team. So to be Deion Sanders and have that, you know, what is luck? Luck is when preparation meets opportunity. You know, he's the preparation, the opportunity he was there for. Um, and to go from there to also winning a World Series. I mean, and then now he's a, you know, uh, a big five, a top five coach, like in college. I mean, he's his son is like an amazing quarterback. He's coached him. I mean, he's living the dream, you know. The only thing wrong with him is he's now missing a couple of toes from his operation, you know. Oh, yeah, I saw that. Yeah, I mean, but he's still living great. He's still driving around Colorado in a golf cart, you know? 100%. I think, I think we're going to wrap it up now. Um, I have noise going on in the background, as you can hear, that uh, I think you can hear anyways, right? Are you- yeah, I can hear it. So let's wrap. Okay, so I hope you appreciated that podcast with Chris. He's going to be showing up more. He's got a lot of good takes and humor that add to this. And uh, go follow our social media accounts, full count underscore podcast, like, and subscribe this video, comment uh, what you liked, what you didn't like. We just want to hear it all. So thank you all. And we'll see you next time. (laughs) All right, cool.